I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to The Line, the sports podcast from PR Week. Hello and welcome to The Line from PR Week. I'm Richard Gillis and I'm here with Danny Rogers, Editor-in-Chief of PR Week, to talk about sport and marketing. Danny, busy week for you, lots of lunch, I imagine, the most lunched man in London. Very few lunches this week, thank you, Richard, okay. and none that you bought. I've, well, I've bought you so many that I think you know, we'll give it a rest. What has caught your eye? What are we talking about this week? Well, last week we talked about football transfers and we got the podcast going, which was no mean feat. So uh, thank you for, for listening to that, guys. And this week we're going to be talking about the globalisation of sport, about football and rugby teams trying to become global brands and build audiences beyond the UK. And of course, this weekend, the NFL is back in London for the international series. Regent Street is bedecked with the colours of Jacksonville Jaguars and Baltimore Ravens. And Wembley and then Twickenham are going to become a fixture on the autumn sports calendar. But does anybody really care about the NFL in this country? Okay, so to get us going, we've got three guests here that will have a very interesting view on these topics. Steve Martin, global CEO of MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment. Gary Cook, former senior Nike executive who went on to run Manchester City and a very senior level at UFC. Um, but we're going to start with Nicky Horn, and was he a DJ of, of you know, I, I know you um, for years past, Nicky, for your work on radio and TV presentation, but I'm that generation who, you are the public face of American football, as we used to call it. I was the, uh, the public face of NFL um, back in 1982 when Channel 4 first started. I was, as you say, I was a disc jockey, although I have to say I prefer the term broadcaster. Mm -hmm. We don't call Um, call disc jockeys anymore, do we? I was on Capitol doing my evening show, which played, incidentally, a lot of American music, which at the time was quite rare. And I got a phone call about 10 minutes before I was due on from a guy called Derek Brandon. And he said... uh, 
he was the producer of a new program that was going to be on this brand new channel, uh, American Football. And he said, um, what do you know about American Football? And I said, well, you know, I've, I've been to America loads of times to do interviews and stuff. And I've been to a few games. It's a fantastic sport. You know, visually, it's amazing. And he said, well, what do you know about it? And I said, well, you know, it's a bit like rugby. I know it's territorial. And he said, but what else do you know? I said, well, that's about it, really. And he said, you don't know anything about it, do you? And I said, no. He said, OK, you're hired. <laughs> um, they they, they and, say the same about me every time I get here. <laughs> well, you know, you know absolutely then, nothing. Yeah. And it was, it was a brilliant idea. And in fact, he carried that through because when we started, when I started going to the cheerleader office about, I don't know, six weeks or so before air, I tried to cheat by sending over to America for loads of books and videos, you know, VHSs in those days. And uh, Derek caught me in the office uh, one day reading uh, one of these books and about to put the VHS in the, in the player. And he said, what are you doing? And I felt like a little kid, you know, caught behind the, the cycle sheds at school. Nothing, nothing, Derek, I'm not doing anything. And he said, you will learn about this game at the same pace as the viewer. And it was, once again, a, you know, a brilliant move for Derek because I went on the air on the first program and said, look, I think this is a great game. It's absolutely fantastic. But come with me and we'll learn together. And this is a time, so we're looking, 1982, there was no football, as in soccer, on the telly. Was There was a broadcast, there was, they were, there was some sort of dispute with the right. channels. And so... Yeah. There was a window for this for, to take... Well, to take yes, I mean, serendipity, you know, was very kind to us uh, because not only was soccer, British soccer in those days, uh, it was rife with hooliganism and there was no, as you say, soccer on air. But also, when we first went on the air on Programme 1, on the first week of Channel 4, um, there was no live American football. Because That's right, there was a player strike. The players were on strike. Now, that, paradoxically, really helped us because we used uh, recorded games and we edited them down. So we got rid of all the boring stuff, yeah. all the boring timeouts and stuff. And it was edited down and it looked like Star Wars. Yeah. So with that and my influence to a degree as a music guy, and we started to put music sequences together and rock music behind you know, this amazing visual game. And there's me saying, look, I don't know too much about this, but this guy sitting next to me does. You know, come with me and we'll learn together. You know, we, we brought the audience in to us and, you know, they, they stuck with us. And um, what was that? So 82 was the launch and then we had, I remember 86, the Super Bowl in 86 being a high moment. That yeah, was the Chicago Bears. Jim McMahon, why do I remember that name? He was... The quarterback. He was the quarterback, yeah. But, I, but prior to that, we had uh, people who were huge fans of the Washington Redskins because the Redskins were the, one of the closest teams to us so that we could get our production crews out there and I would do interviews with people like Jim Theis, uh, Joe Theismann, uh, John Riggins, yes. uh, the Diesel. Um, and I knew 
that the show was going to be a hit about four weeks in, not because of the figures, because we were getting great figures. We were always in the Channel 4 Top 10. But I never really, having been in radio for years, I never really believed the figures that much. But I knew that it was going to be a hit when I was walking in Regent's Park one Sunday and I saw a couple of people walking in the park with Redskins, one with a Redskins shirt on and the other with a Dolphins jacket. Right. Yeah. How do you know they were, were Brits? Well, actually, were I heard them speaking. Oh, okay. yeah, they Yeah, they weren't... Uh, and in fact, they had an American football and they were throwing the ball to each yeah, other. Okay. So to see that, to see the spiral, you know, in the park and to see these clothes, I knew then that we really did have a hit on our I, I really remember Joe Theismann breaking his leg. Yes. In fact, we agonised over that. You can... A, if you any, if any, Yeah, go on YouTube. And, and it is the most horrible thing because it, it breaks in two places. Yeah. And you can actually hear the break. Yeah. Well, the, the and, Simpsons and did a parody of it. I remember they. they yeah, yeah, we um, we agonised over whether we should play it. Gary, Steve, just to just yeah. bring you in. Do you yeah, remember I was, these? I was going. Well, of course. I mean, that was the. You know, I think you were the introducer of of, of a sport to a nation. But it was a highlight show, wasn't it? Yes, uh, it was. Primarily. And I think we yeah. were in the world of highlight shows at the mm -hmm. time. Match of the Day, of course, was we all grew up on Match of the Day. And, and, and so as, as that moved forward, I remember in my days at the UFC where we had a very, very prominent uh, broadcasting deal with Fox Sports in America. And we were taking the events around the world. And I had this debate with the senior leaders, the owners, that if you're in a new market, you need to authenticate it locally. And I'm sure that's where Derek and you were, were coming together on that. Mm -hmm. Did you ever find yourself in a point where you thought, and you, you were, you know, you're some, somewhat naive to the sport, but did you ever find yourself at a thought where you, maybe it should be an American because that's authentic and that's what people want to see and hear because it's an American sport? Or I subscribe to the fact that actually you need people talking in their language locally well, about, uh, about the game. It's, it's funny you should say that because I did it for four seasons and the audience was growing and growing every season. I mean, the Super Bowls that we did, which were obviously not highlights, but yeah. they were live and they yeah. went out at, you know, ridiculous o'clock. Yeah. They got huge audiences. Steve, what? Where are we now, do you think, with the NFL and our relationship with the NFL? Because they've been coming for, you know, this time of year. It's now a sort of fixture of the, the sporting calendar. We've got them at Wembley and Twickenham um, over the next month or so. What, what's your take on where we are at the moment? I mean, I don't know. I think they've done an amazing job um, coming in and actually, you know, taking the games out of their regular season and bringing them in here. And I think there are four games, mm -hmm. talking about them being more, maybe not all in London, but... Um, you know, and they're, they're selling out. They're still. I, I still feel going. Even talking back now, it's quite warming to talk about those days. Whenever you were on, on air, because I remember it very strong. This was the first time I'd sort of seen the impact of Americana. You know, big American franchises coming rolling into town, big and beautiful and noisy, and you know the show was fabulous around it. It wasn't mm -hmm. just about. And you, you were talking about highlights. Okay, you, you started broadcasting the, the whole thing. You're talking about three and a half hour, you know, yeah. games here, so it was pretty long to, to watch. But it felt mystical um, and a bit untouchable. Yeah, that's and true. then it disappeared again. And I think part of that sort of 
magic. Um, it felt like the circus came to town, but it was a really attractive circus. It was a compelling circus and mm. made you want to talk about it. And it sold a lifestyle. You know, you're talking about the two guys you saw in, in the park, but you could see that filtering through where kids were buying into the lifestyle, the look and feel of NFL. What's happened now, I think, is pretty extraordinary. The, the confidence coming from NFL is amazing. It's it's not shy. It sort of um, rolls into town in the same way, but it rolls into town with more swagger. But um, it's very joined up, and I think when the fact things are selling out with you know, 80, 90,000 in 10 minutes yeah. speaks for itself. So the live experience is still fabulous. I, I had the the benefit of going to and the real luck of going to my first Super Bowl two years ago um, to see it live there and it's probably one of the most impressive sporting events there's nothing like it no I was I was blown away by it and I've been a very spoiled boy over the years attending things and I genuinely think it's one of the most amazing experiences but Mm. the, the, the fact is they're opening it up they're bringing that they see it as very much as a global property it's not just a US property they've always said that they're not shy about it but they're localizing it beautifully um, but whether that can continue, that that's the thing, and, and, and how they keep that momentum going. Mm. The Line is sponsored by Cake, the Havas Sport and Entertainment Agency. And can I ask you guys whether you think the NFL knows the target audience it's trying to reach in this country? It's a very, very good question because I think a lot of, um, I mean, it works the other way. And we'll probably talk about it a little bit about when, you know, sports definitely don't know their audience and the mistakes we've seen in the last couple of weeks around rugby. And I do think there are mistakes that can be overcome. But I think, you know, when they roll into town, they do feel that everybody should pay attention. So you've got to hope that 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 doesn't that confidence doesn't become arrogance and I think there's an incredibly fine line in marketing there's an incredibly fine line in sport where it becomes arrogance and you don't know your audience you don't articulate yourself and you don't engage with the audience and you shout at them you know it's like any marketing if you shout at people you'll turn off people turn off particularly in this day and age so let's hope that that doesn't come around again and, and you take the learnings of how a brand should roll in and engage an audience locally Gary, we were talking about it earlier about how UFC have done that. I'm very intrigued by that. Um, but NFL, that's, that's the watch out for me. I guess the, the, the other question that, that jumps off that is the difference between selling an event and selling a team. You know, if they're here, so if, if the NFL, as has been said many times, are going to have a London franchise, Gary, is there a difference between marketing a team with a fandom or, you know, getting people regularly to turn up and marketing big events? Yes, of course. I mean, the you know the the Olympic Games sort of being the the, the beacon of of that uh, analogy is you know it's once every four years and it's the it's the coming together of the greatest athletes of of that moment and everybody wants to see that and witness that. Um, if you are a, a soccer fan here or even an NFL fan in America or MLB or any sports team in the world, there are going to be times when you don't have an appetite to attend the game. Um, and that's to those who are richly and deeply inserted into that franchise, either through generations of support or, or whatever. And I think we we are, you know, that we are in a consuming society today where we want the showpiece, we want the event, we want the we want to capture that moment. 
I think there's this essence of we're coming to see the spectacle, and and, and that is the antithesis of wanting to have a team to support. Right. I, I don't know the, the numbers, but I can tell you from sort of anecdotal evidence of doing these fan events last year for the NFL, of which I did four or five, um, that there is a core of fans that will go to anything, anything to do with the NFL. There is a core of fans. But there are also new fans who are coming in all the time. And I think that the, the fact that the BBC highlight show has been such a success because it, it is a magazine format. Um, it's fast-paced. Um, it's brilliantly presented. It's very warm. It doesn't talk down to the audience. That show... Very, and it takes some of the things that we did in those very early days that Cheerleader did, you know, with the music sequences and stuff like that. Um, that's bringing new people in all the time. And I think that that's what the NFL... And the NFL do spend a great deal of money on research. But, if but, you, but, but yeah, that, I mean, that, and that's playing out to the audience, particularly the younger audience. I mean, I know, again, very anecdotally, but I look at the brand, the guys working in our office as well, oh, they're pretty young, you know, I feel incredibly old now, but um, they're really into NFL. And they're really into NFL because of the tech around it. So they love the tech, they love the data, and they love the stats. And mm -hmm. it's so beautifully presented back. I mean, that, the simplicity of how they present the stats is because it's a very, very, very technical mm -hmm. game that, that, you know, you were trying to explain it in the 80s and 90s. They're still trying to explain it to new audience. It's sort of a perennial thing they have to do. Mm. But, but it's, it and fits it, with the digital era we're working in that actually they can present those stats, they can make it really interesting, and then the whole experience is wrapped around it. So, Steve, does that not then beg the broader question, which is probably a pathway this debate could go down, which is are we talking about globalising sport and how do we do that? And what are the parameters with it, with, within which you can do that. And my experience with Manchester City, which was football, is, okay, guys, there's 50,000 people who are going to come to the stadium, the 6.6 6 billion people. How do we create them to be fans? They'll never come to the game. They'll never see the game. But they're going to watch the Premier League in their country. So what are we trying to do? And, and the idea of setting up franchises around the world was really there was an end to the goal, which is to have an over-the-top television network, media network. So if you were subscribing, you could watch the City brand, however that applied to you in your region, and there'd be players that were switching around. And, and, and actually not a bad thought, but um, that was the initial concept that was sold to the Abu Dhabi Royal Families. How do we take this football club, which, club, which is parochially, parochially East Manchester in England, and how do you get people in Beijing mm. to love them, right? Mm. So that's one, as one aspect of it. And we talk about cricket, another example. You know, how do you – how do uh, – Nike, I worked at Nike for 13 years. How does Nike open up the Indian market as a major sportswear? Well, there was no soccer. There was no rugby. There was no – so the question that begs from a, a colleague of mine, Eunan uh, McLaughlin, using his – Irish charm and wit said we can either teach a billion people to play basketball or we can sell some cricket product because Nike never made any cricket product. And, of course, they did. And all of a sudden, within two years, they're the number one sportswear brand in the market. So you have to be relevant and locally relevant. 
Can I just ask you, Gary, um, with your experience of Manchester City, and hopefully you can still talk about your old club in that sense, um, how they've done in terms of internationalising their appeal? Well, I, I mean, I guess that's, you know, you could ask a million people and a million people would have a, a, a varying answer. But I think the, 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 the initial goal was to make Manchester City a club that was committed to its local community. And that doesn't mean having charitable events. That means investing in the regeneration and economic growth of Manchester. So that was a joint. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Venture partnership between Abu Dhabi, Sovereign Wealth and Manchester City Council, right? Much bigger vision, created a campus. Yes, Sir Howard Bernstein, who was my cohort there, would say that Manchester is a better place for having Abu Dhabi be the owners of Manchester City. But the second part, which was always interesting, I think it's the point we're going to get to, is Manchester City became the proxy brand for Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the, uh, if you look at the, 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 the smorgasbord of, of, of sponsors, it's Etihad, it's the Etihad campus, and it's you know, ADIA, the uh, Abu Dhabi Investment Authority, and it's the Abu Dhabi Travel. There's a reason, and, you know, I used to get criticized. Oh, it's easy for you. You've got all that money, and you just keep adding. Well, it was a proxy brand for the nation. Mm. So if you want to kick the door open in the world today to make a statement, or or if you're China and you want to invest in Britain and you want to kick the door open, owning a a football club's pretty good. It's a good way to become part of the community, so, to be so a trusted partner in the community. So were they, were they actually marketing Abu Dhabi or were they marketing Manchester City? What was? I would what, say they were marketing Abu Dhabi, but it's the connection of the two brands. It's, you know, we're, we're invested in sport. We have the Formula One Grand Prix. We have one of the leading teams in the world. We will have. And we're able to tell the world about our Abu Dhabi content and products. Mm. Nobody had ever heard of Roman Abramovich, Sheikh Mansour, uh, and there's a whole host of people that have entered into football that were relatively unknown to the masses. Um, so so you, you sort of go down that pathway. But I think the idea behind the third concept was that city is the brand and blue is the color. And so we felt at the time that that hadn't been done before and it was about New York City New and York Beijing City, City okay. and Melbourne City. City. And okay. they didn't all have to have the same badge, but they did all have to play in sky blue. And we even went down the pathway of negotiating with Hero Motorcycles to make a blue, sky blue uh, city motorbike called the City Bike. 
Um, so, so that's how you brand sport in my mind. And so it's not Manchester City. You're actually marketing it's something City, else. Yes, um, and and we didn't feel that anybody Norwich City wouldn't have had that capability probably because it was a very different model. But but that's what we felt was the way to get first to be one of the major global brands, not by history and heritage of winning trophies at like Inter Milan and Manchester United. We had to do it another way. We had to do it in a modern way, and we had to be relevant in the modern way. So that's how we did that. The Line, where sport meets the marketing business. Right, let's talk about um, UFC and the big fight. So we're talking about big global moments. Um, We have Mayweather and McGregor. Um, It felt like, in some ways the future, in some ways the past, it felt like a sort of, this is a big... Sort of, it could have been in the seventies, big sort of Don King esque sort of promotional stuff. But then there's also the UFC's media model under underpinning it, mm-hmm. IMG's role in in sort of selling. What did we make of that? And and what what do you think the sort of longer term implications of that um, are, Gary? If I get you on that first, then Steve, come to you on that. Yeah, well, um, this is me, sort of half naked, isn't it? Because I I left the UFC. Um, you know, there was a very there's a change of ownership, and the model was very different. An agency is a promotion uh, vehicle, and they were dice, di- dissecting all of the functions. So marketing and and operations was was sort of. I'm a great believer in the in the critical mass of all of that, and a 360 degree basis brings the brand to the fore. So when you think like in a in a decentralized way you take somebody from mma take somebody from boxing two legends you go let's put them together is there a lot of thought about sustainability of either one of the sports is there a lot of thought around the brands mayweather or mcgregor uh, and i knew connor well and and I, I and i understood why he would do it i don't necessarily think it was anything more than one event as a and i don't like using the word circus because it's sort of it captures the wrong uh, emotion. But I, it, for me, it, it didn't feel like it was a brand exercise and it wasn't a corporate, you know, this is great for opening up new markets. This was just a bit of a road crash. You know why the the traffic slows down? Because everybody has to have a peek at it. There's nothing going on, but you just have to have a look. Yeah. And that's why people bought it pay-per-view. So sorry to be the negative naysayer on that one, having worked there for a long time, but it didn't. Uh, wasn't for me. Steve, what was yeah, your Yeah, I'm going to probably be more negative on it. <laughs> Not to bring, Being an Irishman bring, as bring well. Down. No, uh, just to me it was... Um, I've been very close to boxing for many years, right, throughout my career, working with, um, I mean, first of all, Nassim Hamid and my Adidas days, and... Um, Amir Khan and around boxing for a long time. I've seen how shambolic it can be, but how you know, amazingly, uh, amazing and be as a spectacle as well. And to me, it just showcased how the state of boxing, the fact that they needed to do that. I mean, you know, we were all debating if, if Mayweather didn't win, that genuinely is the end of boxing. That's it. I mean, if somebody can come in and turn up from a different skill set, okay, still fighting and still have gloves on and he's still technically capable, but can turn up with six weeks training and beat Mayweather, you know, with 49 fights unbeaten. Um, really, that's the end of it and may as well pe- people may pack up. So it, it felt to me it was an uncomfortable watch um, and whilst it had serious novelty value, I think I, I would agree with you completely on that, 
uh, expose boxing for what it is. And boxing is going through turmoil. Boxing is another global sport, as we say. The loose term, you know, everything is global. It's not. It's international and it's in certain markets. Let's not use a broad brush in these, these sports. It, but it's, it's an international sport that has huge... Um, resonance across multiple markets and the appeal of this it transcended many many international markets but I do think it was a circus and um, I look at the long-term effects on boxing of you know followed up a week later with the the uh, you know Golovkin result uh, it was pretty extraordinary yeah. and I look I mean, at look, then we've got uh, Rio Ferdinand and now you <laughs> Rio <laughs> Ferdinand which, you know, great um, but I look at then genuinely because UFC is a brand that, that we've all been looking at in the industry for many years. We've done quite a lot of work around with our Reebok clients, so we, we get it. Um, it's incredible what's happened, I think, around UFC. And I'm thinking, did it do a good job for UFC either? I'm not sure it did. I don't think it did. I so think it was a hybrid of madness. And mm. the only winners in all of it, genuinely, were the two guys in the ring. Mm. And you could see them smirking at the end. and. I just think the whole thing was was rigged and fixed, and that, that's it. Just was too perfect that they both came out of it okay, and he didn't go down. And some of the punches being thrown in the first two or three rounds were like, yeah, they wouldn't knock any of us over. You know, when when they when the uh, UFC was formed, Steve, this is an interesting dynamic coming from a marketing PR brand standpoint. So, it was formed as a fight promotion. That's that's what it was, and it followed the same ritualistic approach as Don King or. Uh, you know, any of the guys, Frank Warren or any of those, that, what they do is they create an event and they, it's between two people. And it's not about the brand of boxing because boxing is the sport. And it becomes a promoter's dream because he becomes the spokesman to create animosity between the two and literally tells these two guys to cause as much mayhem as you can in public and everybody's going to want to see what happens. It's school ground, you know, playground, after school sort of mentality. Which is, which is fine, and UFC had grown from that and developed from that to becoming a, a, a media company. So it was about holding intellectual property and creating television network product content that people would gravitate towards. The, the question that you ask yourself, and that's what I was, why I joined, and that's my role, was how do you take that and create a brand with that? And how, do you, how do you make that something more important and make people like uh, which is what we did, um, Anheuser-Busch take that, knowing that the audience is big and feel comfortable engaging with that brand. And so how do you do that? And, and, and how do you have a social responsibility agenda with, a, with something like the UFC? And so you have to really work hard at that. Then what they did with the McGregor fight and the um, Mayweather fight, which is probably why I'm not a fan of it, is they went right back to promoter, promotion. And, and I think then you lose a lot of the new audience Sorry. and whatever we, we, we always talk about this. I always talk about it's the point at which you enter, which creates your perception. If you entered into the UFC via Conor McGregor fighting Floyd Mayweather, you have a very different opinion. Hard to go back the other way. Yeah. And mm. you can't get people to go back. So you can only get them to go for, mm. from there. But the old sort of. You know, that hardcore is going to go. This is ridiculous. Why on earth are we doing this? A lot of people have varying opinions and that doesn't create continuous continuance doesn't create sustainable sustainable growth as a brand i don't think doesn't build fan base mm. just uh, one word on the ferdinand uh betfair shenanigans what do what do we think i it, my view on it is it's done exactly what betfair want yeah great job 
all over the news channels today, mm-hmm. the day before. Let's not be hoodwinked by it, and let's not get too over emotional about it. Um, good luck to him. I mean, he's talking about fight, fighting an English fight. It's novelty value. It's good fun. I mean, he's doing it, and he has to do it in a serious way because it's a very serious sport. And you know, he's a serious guy as well. He's right? a very serious guy, and I think he's been persuaded to do it, and it channels his energies and his focus and yeah. all that. He said, "I do believe in that," but um, let's let's just that you know we're living in an era where you know most sports marketing and most branding is coming from betting companies mm. it's too much and it's it sort of I can't believe what's happening in that that there's no policing of it what's it do to Rio audiences? but not even Rio Ferdinand to the audience I mean if I'm sitting there who's going to follow that you know it's going to be 15, 16, 17, 18 year old young you know young audience as well as old and you're talking about betting brands it's a very clever way to hijack to get into to a younger market and there's no precedent for it and there's no policing of it. We in the agency land have worked in, in the betting world a lot of my colleagues in different uh, we run the different agencies have, have been involved in it but it feels like it's out of control. But having wor- I worked with Michael Jordan, I was president of the Michael Jordan brand the problem you have with somebody a retired athlete and you want to keep them relevant, not only in the home country but also worldwide because I've seen Rio in Philadelphia and everybody loves him in, in America and they, they recognise but how do you keep that going? What do, what, what do you do with an athlete? But it's, uh, again, completely different subject. The Line, where sport meets the marketing business. Can we talk about rugby now? Any, any rugby fans among you? Um, well. Rugby Union has made some attempts to globalise, internationalise itself of late, particularly in America, to mixed results, I understand. So um, can we look at that Newcastle-Saracens game? That was a bit of a disaster, right? Um, I, I guess what will come out of Premiership Rugby is it wasn't a disaster. We have to go and try these things. We've got to explore new markets. Um, so I get all that. And they've con- you know they've signed up and contracted three years, I think, yeah. as you were talking about earlier. Yeah. That's all well and good, and but there is still... It's a bit like we're talking about the NFL, mm-hmm. you know, Nicky, the LFL rolling into town, taking away from the domestic audience. If I'm a season ticket holder and, and, and the Dallas Cowboys and they're playing over here and that's one of the games that's, that's lost, it's the same thing for Saracens and um, Newcastle fans. So they, they've lost a game. They're paying the same season ticket money. It hasn't been reduced... And again, there's this big seduction about we need to go to new markets, we need to get into America because it's big. They clearly haven't done their homework. I mean, the, the, the thing for me was there's a number of issues with it I have is that, yes, go to new markets, but do your homework. Right? Mm. The example of the, the English Football League, they have done their homework with their new digital product where you can go and watch the live games. Mm. They paid for research across... US, Australia, a lot of the Asian market, New Zealand, and find out there's 270,000 fans. You know, exactly from those 270,000 who support these English um, football league teams, 75% of them will pay for a subscription to watch the games live on a Saturday or Sunday, whatever it may be. Premiership Rugby have gone in and tried to export it and tried to force fit it. There were 3,000 people turned up to that game. Well, hold on, though. Again, Steve, if you don't mind me interrupting there, the re- what's the purpose for going right? This, so, this is, this so is, what's the core purpose? And it goes back to my original point. Never quite got to to make it, but it is. This is all about media. 
This is all about viewers. This is all about watching. We used to have UFC events around the world and there'd be an audience that was half the the capacity of the stadium. No, I get that. But it that. was for broadcast to Fox. I get that. So are they going there to crack open the media market in the United States or are they trying to fill the stadiums or are they trying to but, set but up a league? But my point on it is why I, why I think it's not... And I, I get that because actually they've signed a deal with NBC so they've got to fulfill their media deal. So that's why they're doing it. But you still have to do it right. Agreed. So you can't have cameras, whether it's a media deal or not, and they've got a, you know, they have a contractual right to do it. It's still got to know your audience, put it on the right place, think about how you're going to connect with the communities. And it's all right doing work, you know, training skills workshops with kids in the lead up to it, but not when the actual final product is so flawed and so poor. And actually, the bigger issue here is player welfare. You know, they're going to be jet lagged. They're exhausted, these guys. They've come off Lions tours. They're travelling all around the place. And then they're flying back and they're playing again. So that is also compounded by the Pro 14 at the weekend where the Leinster game, they played, you know, they brought these African teams into it. There were 500 turned up to it. Mm. And the product is flawed, whether it's a media product or not. I still think it's a... I mean, I think we might round off on this because it feels like I'm going back to Nikki here in 1982 because when the NFL, it's that line between what's a media product and then the physical manifestation of it when you see it live and, and that has to be right is what you're, what you're saying. Mm. When the NFL and the American Football um, League were broadcast with you in the front of it, it was exciting. It felt exotic. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When the London Monarchs, 10 years later, we had the London Monarchs at Wembley, I remember going to a game and it was really, really rubbish. I know. was there. It was, a, it was a really awful experience. I was there, yeah. Um, and it felt like that's much, I much preferred it when the Fridge and Theismann and Dan Marino were far away and actually I could dream a little bit and project onto them mm-hmm. and to back to Steve's point about Americana. When they got too close, when the fridge became someone who then appeared on British television and you interviewed him, some of the magic, or a lot of the magic, fell away, in my opinion. So it's like a sort of, there is a very delicate balance there. Delicious. And I think we've, we've, we might be coming to the end of this podcast, but we started with how to sell a media product mm-hmm. with Nikki. Mm-hmm. And then we've, we're talking here about the experience and the NFL coming to town. We haven't answered any questions, but what was your final I mean, I think when the first exhibition games were played at Wembley, the audience knew that they were exhibition games. They weren't played with the kind of energy and commitment that you get from regular season games. Everything changed then. The whole thing changed because although those games were, were sellouts, they, were, they weren't deemed successful. But when 10 years ago, when the, when the first regular season games were played at Wembley, it was a sellout and it was successful. And I think now it's going to be very interesting to see. I don't think there is going to be a London franchise. I think that probably what will happen and there's been a shift in the last few months, I think, uh, as far as the owners are concerned. And I think that there is likely to be now more international games and that the NFL is looking at Germany. I know they're looking at China. I know China is looking at the NFL. And I think it's much more likely that there will be an in, a bigger international series than there is going to be a London whatever Right. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Nikki. So um, thanks very much to Steve Martin.
to Nicky Horn, to Gary Cook. Well done, Danny. Thank yeah, you very much rich. for your company. Um, the Line is a collaboration between PR Week and Cake, the Havas Sport and Entertainment Agency. It was produced and edited at the HKX building by Adam Vesey and Deo Adonai and Matt Whip at PR Week. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to The Line via prweek.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Line is sponsored by Cake, the Havas Sport and Entertainment Agency.